Hi, this is Ned Siegfried from Siegfried & Jensen. As proud sponsors of BeliefCast, we hope you are inspired by Todd's weekly podcasts, which contain so many courageous stories of recovery and personal growth. Remember, it's not what happened in the past that matters, it's what happens in the future. We invite you all to work hard and be optimistic about your future. Enjoy today's podcast. Welcome back, everybody. This is Todd Sylvester. Thanks for tuning in once again. This is the Todd Inspires Belief Cast, and I'm excited. I love this. I love meeting with people and to be able to sit down with them and have them share their stories. You know, the vulnerability is, is just inspiring to me. And uh, But I want to thank you guys for tuning in and always sharing. And, and con- I just received a, you know, a text from someone who's listening to this and how it's changed his life. And it just really makes this all worth it because it's not about me. It's about you and everyone who's listening and my guests. So thank you so much. I need to give a shout out to our sponsors, Thread Wallets, Siegfried & Jensen, Wasatch Recovery, um, Living Recovery Interventions, and my good friend Drew Peterson, and then Mountain West Spine and Orthopedics. And then we've got a few uh, silent sponsors, and I want to thank you. You know who you are. I love you guys. And I do want to say the music that you he- heard at the beginning of this and the music you're going to hear at the end is by my good friend Paul Cardall. He is an amazing pianist as you guys know he's famous all over the world and i'm just grateful that he he's a part of this with us as well so anyway thank you uh today we're we're joined by chris hartman chris uh he's actually a friend of mine i've known him for a long time now thank you for joining us yeah i'm happy to be here todd thanks for (laughs) thanks for having me on yeah so um just a quick thing on chris he's close to five years clean and sober congratulations thanks man that's amazing um, we were just talking before we went live is that I saw Chris at his lowest point. Um, he was broken, or at least he believed he was, but he really wasn't. He just didn't know it yet. <laughs> <laughs> but he was in rough shape and going through some difficult things. And uh, and it's so great to see. I mean, you look amazing, dude. Thanks, you really man. do. You look so good. A um, little background on Chris. He's married to his amazing wife, Emily. And uh, they reside in Kaysville, Utah. He's a full-time truck driver uh, with a little side business hustle um, on the side, I guess. Um, uh, he was born and raised here in Utah, right? Is yep. that accurate? Uh, you have a wonderful family. You served a mission in Peru. And then shortly after you returned from your mission, um, you went through a, an, a battle with addiction, which we're going to get into in a minute. Um, I know you love connecting with others and you want to help others who are struggling, especially with addiction. And that's why you're here ultimately is to, to share what you've been through, kind of how you made it through it and all these great things you're doing now. So I'm just excited for our listeners to hear you. So why don't we start off, Chris, tell us where you grew up uh, and a little bit about your family and your childhood. Sure. Yeah. So born and raised here in Utah, we, uh, we lived in West Jordan at the time uh, when I was born. So, and, and we lived there till I was about 10 um, I mean, I have a, a wonderful family, the, the, the best parents anyone right. could ask for. Um, I'm the second oldest. I have an older sister, a younger sister and a younger brother. So there's four of us. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. And we were always really close growing up, just a great family environment. Yeah. Right. Um, so when I was 10, we moved to Bountiful. My, my dad built a house in West Bountiful and that's kind of what I call, uh, call home. Call home. You know, yeah. I went to Bountiful High. 
Uh, and I had a, I had a pretty good childhood. Um, it, I mean, it was great. I had great friends in high school. I loved high school. Um, but I, you know, in, in the stuff that I've learned with you, Todd, the, the, the belief system stuff, I, yeah. I honed in on how early on those belief systems were a little bit wonky. Yeah. Right. I mean, I dealt with, uh, I was, I was kind of the, in high, in junior high and high school, I was kind of the chubby kid, the fat kid. I always had that persona with me. And I yeah. think that did, that did quite a bit of damage to me, um, mm. throughout, throughout, uh, like high school and junior high. I mean, I think I handled it well. Right. But I, I think it did affect me for well, sure. Especially when you're a kid though, like, you know, when we think about it in our adult minds now, but when you're a kid, that's heavy stuff. Like it, it really is like, yeah, you dealt with it, but it, but there was probably this underlying hurt that, you know, that was just, you know, you had to deal with on a, maybe on a daily basis at the time. Did you, did you notice that back then? Yeah, I did. And, and I think my, uh, especially my mom, I think honed in on it too. Mm-hmm. Um, we saw a few people um, about that. And I opened up and was a little, a little vulnerable at the time, you know what I mean? Which yeah. helped, but yeah. but yeah, I mean, it's definitely something you carry with you. And I think you put those guards up and you try and laugh it off or shrug it off. You know what I mean? But it does it even to this day that, that still stays with me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think kind of forever will. It's one of the reasons that exercise is so important to me. Yeah. Right. Cause I was, I, I was that kid and I don't want to ever be that kid again. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sure. Um, so yeah. Yeah. But. So, you know, you, uh, obviously went through high school, you set up in Bountiful and then you decided to serve a mission. Now a mission's no joke, by the way. I mean, it's not easy. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> right. Definitely a tough... I'm assuming you learned a new language, right? Yep. Served in Peru. So yeah, Spanish, Spanish. Was, yep. was the language there. I mean, tell us some of maybe the, I guess maybe some of the principles that you learned and some of the things that you gained from a mission. Sure. Yeah. So I, I think about it a lot. Um, and especially in my recovery, I, I think the decision to to serve a mission. I mean, I we grew up in the church. It was it was always something that was that was taught, right? We go kind on of missions, expected, right? Yeah. yeah. But I, I mean, probably up until that point in my life, hands down, the best decision, the most important decision I made. I mean, it really, it, especially in a third world country. Yeah. Um, I mean, anywhere you serve, right? It just it it teaches you how to grow up. You learn discipline. Um, yeah. and you really just learn to serve others. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, serve everybody around you and, and give everything of yourself. Yeah. So, well, yeah, I mean, outside of the spiritual side of things, I mean, you learn discipline, yep. you learn how to take rejection. Oh yeah. You learn how to work hard, <laughs> right? Yep. <Every laughs> All day. these things. And, and even though maybe, you know, I know you struggled when you got back, but, uh, but how those, you know, are starting to cultivate in your life, right? As you're going through that. Yeah. Yeah. So you get back, I mean, were things good in your life at that point? Did you feel like things were good? Yeah, I did. I mean, I, um, I, right before I got home with my last companion in my last area on my mission is when I got, um, introduced to exercise. I'd never really exercised a whole lot before. Yeah. Um, and so I started getting into running and then my sister, and my uncle were, uh, had just started getting into triathlons. Mm. And so yeah. they were a big push for me to, to kind of get into that. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think mentally, 
um, I was, I was in a good space. I, you know, I started working at CarMax selling cars and mm-hmm. I loved that job. Great, yeah. great environment, great people. Um, so yeah, things, things were, were really, I, I think we're, were really great. Right. And I, I don't necessarily want to blame any situation for, for the decisions that I made. Right. Yeah. But I, I think I had a couple Rocky relationships, yeah. um, shortly after my mission and which kind of just, I don't know that I ever really questioned my belief in, in, in God and Jesus Christ and, and the church. Right. But it just made me think, why am I working so hard to not, to feel like I'm not gaining anything, which is the, just a, a horrible way to think about it. Right. But yeah. that was kind of my mindset at the time. Yeah. And I think that was kind of at, as my path started going a different way, um, I kind of can track it back to that if that makes any sense. Absolutely. So what, tell us about that path you started going down and tell us, you know, I mean, you went through six years, uh, you know, through, you know, battling addiction. Tell us about that journey. Yeah. So before alcohol, alcohol was, was definitely my, my vice, right? That was the one thing that latched on to me. Um, but, but before that I was introduced to marijuana with some kids that Mm -hmm. I was living with from California and, um, and it's really, it's ironic. It's, it's funny. I tell this all the time, but I was sitting in my room reading my scriptures when they knocked on the door and were like, Hey, do you want to, <laughs> you know, do you want to partake of this a little bit? And I, I had always been curious. I didn't even know what we'd looked like or smelt yeah. like or anything, but I was just like, that was in that moment. I just, I kind of caved and I said, sure, why not? You know, let me, let me try it. And the yeah. first time I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I enjoyed it a little bit. You sure. know what I mean? I was just being honest. I yeah. Mean, that's... Um, and as time went on, I, I mean, there was multiple times that I had participated in or that I had smoked weed and it, it got to the point where it didn't agree with me very well mentally. Yeah. I mean, I got super paranoid on it. I didn't really, yeah. it wasn't my drug of choice. If, if, if that's a sure the way to put it, you know yeah. what I mean? And then, um, how I got introduced to alcohol. It's funny too. Um, it was always with people that, that were within the church. Mm -hmm. The the person that I was with the first time I had a, my first shot of vodka was a buddy of mine from the MTC for the Mm. missionary training center. Yeah. Right. And so I just, I just find that kind of ironic. You know what I mean? I wasn't choosing to go hang out with hooligans or whatever. These were people that that I believe were strong in the church, just like me. Right. Well, but, you know, and I, you bring up a good point. I think a lot of times, you know, it's not so much now, but we always thought it was some stranger that's going to come give you some drugs, right? you know, and it never is. It's always someone we know. It's someone that's close to us. And, and that even makes it harder to maybe even say no or something. Cause it's like, Hey, I know this guy. He's, he's a friend of mine. It's just easy to go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give it a try. You know? Yeah. 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 So I, I you, yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, it was, you feel comfortable around yeah. those people and it yeah. wasn't like, you know, like you said, it wasn't some guy, just some decrepit old guy. Hey, do you want to, <laughs> you want to try this? You know what I mean? It was right. just, it was a, it was a get together with people. And right. the funny thing was, is I, you know, I had told them, I'd shared with them, like I, I never tasted alcohol and they all looked at me like they seriously thought I was lying to them. Yeah. Like, no way you, you've tried it before you're just pulling our chain or whatever. And, and so that was kind of how I was pressured into, mm. you know? Yeah. And, and, and again, I don't want to blame that on anybody, but, but myself, right. I own it. Sure. I, I made those decisions yeah. and I chose to do that. But, um, man, when I took that, 
first drink of alcohol, it was like, it was like all those insecurities that mm-hmm. I had had seemed to kind of melt away for a little bit. Yeah. I became this super open, relaxed guy. Right. And it was yeah. just fun. And I was, you know, kind of like, I had this weird thought in my head, like if, why, why does God or, or heavenly father not want us to do these things if it makes us feel so good? Yeah. Right. Why can't we just enjoy this stuff? At, at, that's what I thought at the time. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. But obviously as you, as you get further and further into that rabbit hole, you, you soon find out why. Yeah. You know, why you should stay away. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and I think I hear this a lot, Chris, with my clients, you know, they, they'll say exactly what you said. It's like, I was struggling internally with some things and it was like almost the moment I had a drink or I, I popped an, you know, an oxy or I just started feeling like, oh, my troubles went away for a minute or I felt confident for the first time in my life or I felt relaxed because I'm so high strong and all of a sudden I'm just kind of chill. It's like, man, this is, this is where it's at kind of thing. And so mm-hmm. I, I, I think that is, that is the scariest thing because you do, you question, well, if this is feels so good, why, why can't we feel good? Like what's wrong with feeling good? Right. But what we don't want is as we continue is the consequences that start to follow. So anyway, you start, you, you have your first drink and you're like, whoa, continue from there. Yeah. So, I mean, this was, I'm trying to think of a timeline. It was a couple of years after my mission. So like 2009 probably. Okay. Um, and then it was, you know, it was really casual at first, you know, obviously every once in a while at a party or a get together, we, I started getting, getting introduced to the bar scene. So on the weekends we'd go yeah. to the hookah bar was a big thing. Yeah. Um, you know, back in, in that time. <laughs> the hookah bar. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was just, uh, you know, at first it was a casual you know, sort of a thing, but, um, and then I also got introduced to to a couple other drugs. I uh, one of the drugs was ecstasy or Molly, yeah, um, MDMA or what, whatever you want to call it. But uh, and I, and I that was probably the drug that I tried the most. You know, a good handful of times. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, never really, it never really gripped me like alcohol did. Right, right? and I'm, I, I think you could easily say one of the reasons alcohol is so prevalent is because it's just it's there it's legal and it's it's right around the corner yeah right so but it i mean my body just agreed with it right it made me feel made me feel great yeah you know made me that person that i wanted to be i guess you know just relaxed and and carefree was there a part of you chris at that time because again you were kind of raised differently meaning you weren't you were raised to not partake in those things yeah but here you are you're starting to dabble in it and it's feeling good was there a part of you going okay i probably shouldn't be doing this was there any of that too or is it more of hey this is no big deal yeah absolutely um i mean i always knew i i always knew what i was doing was wrong right i shouldn't there was a part of you going yeah "Eh." Yeah, and it i think you know i've shared this with a lot of people too i it was the weirdest it was the weirdest thing i always I grew up with a, with a really heavy conscience. Anytime I did something wrong growing up, I always felt really bad about it. Mm. Um, and something, I don't, I don't know exactly 
when I think it part of it was some of the relationships I had gone through, but I just got to a point where I knew it was wrong. And it's so sad to say this, but I just, I stopped caring. I just, I didn't care anymore. Yeah. It was like my conscience just separated from me for a little while. Yeah. If that makes sense. Sean, no, makes perfect sense. I think we do that even subconsciously. So we don't feel that guilt. Yeah. We just separate from it and we just like block it away into a little corner of our mind and, and we don't want to open that. Yep. And so we continue. So it allows you to justify the behavior moving forward. Mm-hmm. So did it just, I mean, pick up where you left off? Like you start drinking, what, what happened from there? Yeah. So, um, I mean, I just continued on casually and it slowly got more and more, um, consistent, right? It was, it started with just on the weekends, we'd go and party and then it became, oh, well I can go buy a bottle and just have it in my apartment or wherever I was living at the time, you know, and I could sip on it here and there and feel good when I'm by myself kind of a thing. And it slowly started, started becoming more of a problem. And then a, a a really close friend of mine and I decided we, we got to the point, um, here in Utah where we were just kind of sick of the scene. And, um, you know, I, I had, I was hiding, uh, of course I was hiding my drinking and everything from my, my family and my parents, you know what I mean? And, and at that time in my life, I was in and out of living with my parents. I was in an apartment or I was back at home. They were so gracious and awesome to let me do that. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? Yeah. And so we made the decision to move to California. And I think that was 2000, around 2010. Mm-hmm. And that's when things started. I think that's when I really, I, I had that realization of while I was there that, man, I, I think I have a problem. Mm. Like I'm, I think I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Right. But you play, you, you play a trick or your mind plays tricks on you. Like, no, you're not, you could stop at any time. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's such totally. a dangerous place to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so being away from being away from people, I felt I needed to hide it from and being completely separated from that. It was like, and California, I mean, everybody was smoking weed. Everybody was drinking and partying. Yeah, I mean, the church is big there. Right. But it's, it's not as prevalent as, as it is here in the, sure. and I call it the bubble, right? Yeah, definitely the bubble. Um, <laughs> and so, yeah, it was that freedom of, oh man, I can do whatever I want. And it just, it was hard. And that, that was when the economy was really struggling, right? So it was really tough to find a job, yeah. to have consistent work. And so it was, it was a struggle there. And so we always just resorted back to drinking. Yeah. I mean, it, it, and it became like an everyday thing. Yeah. And again, that's, that's when I started noticing that this is, you know, uh, I'm definitely seeing a problem with this. Right. So, and then did anyone else notice as well? Were people that going, Hey, what's up with you? Or did family recognize it? Did, you know, did people like go something, what's up, what's wrong with you, Chris? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, you could tell, I mean, I could tell in conversations with, with my parents, you know what I mean? And my siblings, I was really close with my older sister. Um, and I think in conversations with her and I'm trying to remember exactly when I shared my struggles with, I'm pretty sure I told my, my siblings okay. before my parents. And I okay. think, I mean, as much as I tell myself I hid it from my parents, I'm sh- my mom, I think, had an idea of what was going on. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. She knew me very well, Something obviously. Was off. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny. They, they came out, my parents came out to visit 
California. We went to San Francisco and, um, you know, I, I hesitate to share this. I guess it's fine. But we, when we were living in California, we, we actually, um, one of us got a, a medical marijuana card and we were growing mm-hmm. marijuana in our apartment. Yeah. Right. And so my, my mom, of course, she's, she's, <laughs> you know, she's coming out to visit me. She wants to see our apartment. And it was like, <laughs> it was like at all costs, we had to keep them yeah, away right. from, <laughs> right. you know, and it was, I was horrible at it. It, it was like the last day they were staying in an apartment and we went to San Francisco and toured around and, and then the last days they were heading home, like they had, my mom's like, we're going to come and see your apartment. Cause they, my buddy Colby, um, they, they, yeah. they know Colby really well. Um, we, we live across, our parents live across the street from each other. So, and, but anyway, so she's like, yeah, I want to see you and Colby want to see your place. And like, I, I, I ignored her phone call. She called me like seven times in a row <laughs> and I was just like, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to tell her she can't come over here. Yeah. And so I just ignored her phone call and called her back like two hours later as I knew that they were on the road. You're like, sorry, home. I missed you. Yeah. It just all, and I, at that point I was like, there's no way she, she doesn't know. She's like, yeah, something's up. Yep. Wow. So, so man, you got to a point where you're growing drugs and yeah, so things are getting out of control. Yeah. Big time. And I mean, it just, when you start down that path, though, it's so much easier to take another step and another step mm-hmm. and another step. I mean, we were doing really stupid things as far as how we were trying to make a profit off of the marijuana and stuff like that. You know what I mean? I'm, yeah. I tell myself this all the time. I'm so lucky. Someone, somebody was watching out for me because I could easily have ended up in jail or, I mean, I can't tell you how many times, and this is super shameful to say, but I, I mean, I, it became a, a kind of a joke that Chris was the DDD, the designated drunk driver. Cause oh, wow. I was the one that could, you know, drive the best if I was tipsy or had had a drink or two and how, yeah. how stupid is that? Right. Yeah. I could easily probably have a handful of DUIs, which yeah. just makes me sick to my stomach to think about. But for sure. Yeah. And so like it just, it just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And then I lived there for about a year, moved back home. Um, and I think at that time I had shared with, I, I, Cause I moved back to my parents' house and I did share with my mom and dad. And I think they obviously knew, right. But I told them, you know, I've been struggling with this and I've been struggling with that. And, um, they were, I mean, my mom took it really, really, really hard. My dad was a bit more understanding, but with my dad, it was always that disappointment. He never, my dad never, ever laid a hand on me growing up, but his, his discipline was just the look in his eyes and the disappointment. And that always stung deeper than getting whooped or getting beat. Right. It was just disappointing. My father was like the worst thing on the planet. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was when I got home, it was just dealing with that, dealing with knowing that, that my, my family knew I was struggling, just made it, made it even more prevalent. Right. All I wanted to do was get away from these horrible feelings the only the only thing I knew how to get rid of that was drink. So so what you're saying is you felt shame. Big time. And I want to make it clear to our listeners, you know, there's a difference between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad or wrong. Shame is I'm bad. Right. Right? And guilt is good in the sense that it reminds us, hey, don't do that again. But if we hold on to guilt too long, it turns into shame. 
And then obviously, like you said, you didn't want to fill those feelings of you're a bad person because that doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. But you know what will make you feel good, yep. right? Keeps you in that cycle. Yep. So you tell them and things get even worse. Yeah, they did. I mean, it just, it, uh, it was just too hard for me to, to cope with. Yeah. And my coping mechanism now was alcohol, right? Yeah. And so I was, you know, I brought it into my parents' house, which I still feel bad about. And they caught me a few times and just, I mean, it was bad. And then again, it was that in and out of, in and out of my parents' house, living with them for some time and then living with friends or in an apartment or whatever the case may be. And I was going through job after job after job and just, you know, alcohol was affecting everything that I was doing. Yeah. Right. Um, and so it was a good, I mean, four or five years of that struggle. Um, and then I, I became really close with my little brother who was kind of, um, he didn't serve a mission. Um, but, and we started connecting. I was never, never close with my little brother. He was the baby mm. and he yeah. was always that little nuisance, right. In my yeah. life. But then <laughs> we had this like aha moment of connection where we, sh- where I was like vulnerable, vulnerable with him and he was vulnerable with me. And it was like, we became best friends for a little while. Yeah. Um, and I still consider him one of my best friends, but, uh, yeah. And so I lived with him, um, off and on for a couple years and just progressively got worse and worse. I mean, I was, I was drinking, you know, a handle of vodka in a day sometimes. Jeez. I mean, uh, to explain what a handle is, that's a half gallon, right? Yep. Half gallon. Just so people half gallon of vodka a day. Yeah. That is ridiculous. Yeah. And it was, you know, exercise was such a big part of my life before I started going down and even when I first started going down this path, yeah. right. I was still, I had, I had done my first half Ironman in 2009. Um, and I was doing local triathlons, yeah, you right. know what I mean? Yeah, sure. But it gets to the point I was drinking so much alcohol. I was, I was probably consuming more alcohol than water and food, to be honest with you. It was, yeah. and it just started completely destroying my body. Um, and it was, you know, an up and down battle for a couple yeah. of years with, yeah. with that. I could, I could tell, I'd look at myself in the mirror and it was that, oh my gosh, I'm that out of shape kid again. And those feelings came back Man, and yeah. those belief systems set back in, you yeah. know what I mean? It, oh, yeah. it was, I mean, I was just in, in bad shape. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, things were kind of on a little bit of a, of an uphill as far as like I, I landed a, a good job that I was comfortable with. I was doing hardwood floors and tile and I felt like, Hey, at least I'm going to have a trade under my belt kind yeah. of a thing. Mm-hmm. And that's when I met my wife. Um, and it's funny. We, I was, I was stark drunk the night that we met. Right. And <laughs> which is so funny. I mean, we, was it a party? I was living with my brother at the time. And she was, she had just randomly shown up with another friend of a friend. Yeah. Um, and we met and started talking. And the funny thing was the, our first big connection is we started talking about church. She had grown up in the church just like me and, you know, but wasn't super active at the time. But we, we started talking about how if we ever got married or found ourselves married, we would, you know, I want to find somebody that shares those values and, and so that's that's kind of how we made our first connection. Gotcha. Right. 
And so, yeah, we, we dated and, um, dated for about a year and then we got married and, but was still, I mean, she knew that I was struggling, right? Yeah. I don't think she knew really how bad Mm -hmm. it was, especially the internal struggle, but she knew that alcohol was an issue with me and I liked to drink. She, I mean, she was there weekend after weekend taking care of my sorry butt when I had drank too much. (laughs) She could tell you story after story. Yeah, I know she has actually. Yeah. You know my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. So yeah. So this is going on. She's seen you suffer and struggle and we're at this point where you like going, okay, I got to make it, I got to change. Or, or did you feel like you were stuck? Yeah. I mean, I, I knew I wanted to, and I felt like I, I could, I just, I didn't realize at that time how far in I was. I didn't realize how hard it was going to be. Yeah. You, you convince yourself that, Oh, I can stop anytime. I don't, you know, I don't have a problem. It's going to be easy. It's a great way to avoid doing the work. Right. right? I can stop anytime, which keeps you from actually doing it. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. And so I, you know, we had that desire. We talked about, we got married civilly. Um, and we had that goal of getting married and sealed in the temple one day, right? We had talked about that. That was one of our goals. Yeah. You know, I had made the promise to her parents too that, you know, I was I was going to stop drinking. That was their big concern when I well, when sure. I had asked her dad her dad's permission, right? He did yeah. his, he said, Look, we love you, but you know, our our big concern, our only concern is the alcohol. Yeah, right. And, you know, of course I said, Oh yeah, I, you know, Emily and I have talked and you know, I, I definitely want to, we have this goal and I was in no, right. I was in, in no way was I wanting to change at that yeah. time at all. Yeah. Right. But Emily, I could tell, I, I could tell she was ready for me to, to make that decision, start changing yeah. things, start changing who I hung out with. I mean, we, we lived in this small little apartment in Kaysville and just barely getting by. I mean, wasn't making a whole lot of money. And so she wanted to see me start to change it. And that's when, that's when it got the worst as far as drinking. Cause I, what happened is I just, I felt like I had to hide it from her, how it. much I was drinking. She knew I was, but she didn't know how much I, yeah. I was. And I, you know, I hid it from her for a long time and I was getting to the point I was in and out of the hospital cause I was so Jeez. sick. I mean, I, wow. at, at the worst I was, I think I was down to like, 130 pounds. I mean, it was just destroying my body. Um, and at one point, one of the bouts in the hospital, they told me I had what's called hepatitis of the liver, which is like a stage before cirrhosis. Jeez. And so it was like, yeah, that was kind of the first big sit down of dude, you, if you don't stop, you, this is going to kill you kind of a thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? And so that, that's when I started to, um, to at least try, I did the AA thing for a little while and, and it was up and down and relapse after relapse. And, um, I think I, I think the furthest I got was like 90 days Yeah. and I felt like I was doing really well. Um, but still, I mean that, gosh, what a struggle it is at that time. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. It's, it's just so, so tough. And And so after that 90 days, I had a really bad relapse and of course was hiding it from everybody. Right. Yep. Continuing telling everybody, oh yeah, I'm, you know, 90 plus days sober when in reality I wasn't right. Yeah. Um, and 
and when when I got sick enough again to where I I, I, I thought in my head, I can't hide it anymore. I'm sick. And I was, after I had heard that from the doctors, like, you you know, if you don't stop, you're going to die. Yeah. I, the thought was going through my head, like, I, okay, I've pushed myself to that point. I'm, I'm probably going to die. There, yeah. yeah. And Man, that's so scary. Yeah. I checked myself into the hospital and that's how my wife found out that I was, you know, still I had relapsed drinking. again and yeah. and yeah, still drinking for yeah. relapsed a big time. Yeah. Right. And she was, I mean, at this point she she was close to leaving me right she she told me that and um and i don't think i've ever been as sick in that moment as far as knowing that and physically too i mean that that relapse was so bad and uh so luckily i have a super amazing wife and she was very patient and loving and you know she of course was like okay well we're gonna work through this yeah. Um, and at the time <clears throat> she was involved in a play in Kaysville, local, local Kaysville play. And so, um, she, she had gone that night to go to play practice and I was left at home and I, I mean, I could see it in my skin color. I mean, I was, yeah, I was in rough shape. Um, probably the worst, yeah. um, withdrawals I think I'd, I'd ever experienced. Yeah. And I learned too, that withdrawing from alcohol is super dangerous. Very dangerous. It can, it can kill you. Oh yeah. Um, if you don't yeah. do Your risk properly. for stroke goes up like 60%. Yeah. It's, it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And so that night while she was gone, um, was, I mean, I, I just remember having the biggest panic attack of my life. I literally thought people were out to get me. I remember walking through the apartment, opening and shutting windows, locking everything. And I mean, it was it was kind of weird. And then I had this weird out of body experience. And the next thing I know, I'm sitting in the bathtub and I'm slicing my arms open. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, and it was I don't remember a whole lot. I don't remember the pain. I don't remember much of it other than I couldn't really move. And luckily my phone was close by and I called, I called 911 on myself and, um, you know, ended up in the hospital. Emily was contacted, um, while she was at the play. And I mean, it was just, that was definitely (laughs) the lowest, the low point, the lowest of lows for me. And I was, I was literally ready for her to just walk away from me. Yeah. Right. And I remember, I specifically remember her for when she came to the hospital, she just came and gave me a hug and she said, I'm not going to leave you. You're probably going, what the, yeah. You know, you should leave me. Probably you're thinking like, what are you doing? Yeah. I mean, I think I was sitting there with my arms on the table being stitched up when she, I mean, how horrible must I have looked? Yeah. I thought for sure she was, but. Had we had met yet? I don't think we had met yet. No, shortly right? after yeah. this is when. So talk about now the transition from, obviously your lowest point. What started to change? What, you know, how? I mean, we just said you're, you know, you're coming up on five years clean and sober. Yeah. Which is amazing, by the way. It's, Thanks, and man. You look amazing. Um, talk about that transition. Like what happened, and how did you get from that low point to where you're at today? Yeah, I mean what a journey it's been (laughs) and you know, definitely an imperfect journey. Right. Yeah. Um, but 
I don't think it's it's progress, not perfection, right? Yeah, and for it's, sure. It's learning certain things, and um, luckily I had how we met was um, my uncle, my uncle Lane had had known somebody who knew you, um, anyways, and and so I got introduced to you. This so, so I guess re- rewind a little bit. Right after, of course, I got checked into the psych ward. Oh yeah, which yeah. was. I don't wish that on my worst enemy. Yeah. I mean, just not fun, not fun, especially when you're still withdrawing. Yeah. I was in an intense amount of pain from, you know, from cutting my arms open. And, um, and so that, I mean, I remember a conversation with my dad on the phone. I remember a conversation with my grandma, my grandma and I are, are, have always been really close and I don't think I've ever heard her talk to me the way she talked to me on the phone, you know what I mean? And yeah, I, I just, I think I re it really set in how my decisions and what I was doing was affecting everybody else and how selfish I had been for so long. Yeah. So that was kind of my first realization there. And I mean, just an awful experience wanting to get back home and yeah, um, I can imagine, Jeez. but Luckily, you know, I, my wife was super supportive and, um, we worked through it and, you know, I, I, that's when I met you and I, at that time, the biggest thing for me was, gosh, was, uh, dealing with what I had done. I had this weird perspective before that experience of suicide you know, obviously a, a horrible way to look at it, but I, I, I always used to think, man, how, how selfish can somebody be? And, but I've gained a lot of respect for anybody going through that or anybody that has gone through that. Cause you can understand how bad things can get Yeah, or and, feel, you know? Yeah. And it's, I mean, to, to know that the adversary had an adversary, Satan, whoever, however you want to put it, if you, if you think spiritually to know that he, he had that much hold on me to truly make me feel that it would be better to not be here. Yeah. Better for me, better for everybody else. Yeah. You know, I mean, how, gosh, how, how S- horrible was scary. that? Right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, meeting you, um, and learning about belief systems and, and just, I think I needed to be reminded <laughs> of like, who Dude, I was. I want to say, like, when I first met you, obviously I saw you at your lowest point. It was it was a tough sight to see. But I was excited because I knew we were going to talk about things you've never heard before. And I, and I know I told you this on day one, that there was nothing wrong with you. And you looked at me like I was crazy. And uh, I said, I go, it's true. And I get why you don't believe it, because you tell yourself a story that there is something wrong. Right. And those, that's what we're referring to when we say belief systems, these beliefs that you had about you as a person that were so negative and entrenched, you know, it started when you were little, like you said, and those are the things we went and attacked. I didn't have to tell you to stop drinking. You already knew that. Right. It's not about the drinking. It's about this belief system that was holding you back. And it was right. fun. It was fun. You're like, yeah, Todd, thanks. It wasn't very fun. <laughs> but it was fun just seeing you light up, though, when when you when you started, like, I don't know how to explain it, but, like, I could see the lights turning back on, if that makes sense, in your eyes. I could see it in your countenance. The like, hope was coming back. The hope's coming back, and you're like, you know what? Maybe there is something to what Todd's saying. Maybe this, maybe I do need to. Anyway, it was just fun to see that 
progression. Now, granted, you were going through something different because you're still struggling heavily. But from my perspective, I was like, man, this is awesome because I'm seeing this light turn on. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was. And it, it it's hard to explain, um, you know, exactly how how anybody gets through that right it's slow and steady yeah man, and yeah little decisions yeah and you know i i started i mean I, I feel so blessed to be where i am now looking back yeah but shortly the one of the reasons we stopped meeting was because i i mean i went from when i met you i was working part-time for an old boss making eight dollars yep. an hour yep, i remember that and i i mean i just felt like a complete piece of turd Right. Yeah. So I saw something online and about CR England, you could get your CDL and, and I, I, I applied that. and went through training in two weeks. I was full, t- full time employee job. making yeah. 65 grand a year. It was like life changing yeah. for me. And it was it's so crazy how it all, how it all panned out. I yeah. got on, I got on a route that started Monday morning before the liquor store opened. And I was gone all week and got back Saturday morning before the liquor store opened. And I was, we, I made a plan, of course, with my wife, right? Sure. Got yeah. home and was with her. Stick with the me. entire <laughs> yeah. weekend. Yeah. 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 A- accountability, right? Accountability. She held me accountable. We made certain steps. Even to this day, we have the little tracker on our phone. She knows where I'm at at all times. I know where she's at. It's just that it's that accountability yeah. stuff and you have to it. you have to hold yourself accountable but it really helped having her to know to know she was holding me accountable as yeah. well wow so well yeah and i remember that when you got that job and and i remember we talked about even some of the concerns you know like man should, am i ready for this should i do this and, yeah and and ultimately obviously hindsight's 2020 20, you you know it was great for you yeah and and uh um, I really respected that. And again, I knew that you needed to, to have something to help support your family and, and all that stuff. And so, I don't know, it was just, it was great to see, like I said, the lights turning on and you were a hard worker. The other thing I want to point out and, and I want to give you props, like it wasn't me. I mean, yeah, I shared some things with you, but you did the work and you were a hard worker and you're one of those guys that when you put your mind to something, you do it. You know, you really do. And I think I say this to all the time, like you can go to the worst counselor on the planet. You can go to the, the you know, the worst treatment center on the planet. If you want it, you'll get it because you're going to put in the work and, and, you know, but you did. And I just want, I want to give you some props there that you really worked your butt off. Yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. It was, it was fun to watch. It really was. You know, and I've, I've got to know your awesome wife, uh, through this process as well. And, uh, and just to see where you're at today, it just, I, I wish we had pictures of that timeline of you, yeah. how you looked five years ago to where you look now. <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's amazing what, how bad someone can look. You, you looked horrible. Oh yeah. I, I, we, we joke about it all the time and laugh <laughs> right. about it. Cause we look at pictures, my wife and I, and we're like, yeah. And I could, oh yeah, I was drinking or I was drunk or I was really like, you can see you it. You just see it. You know what I mean? And, yeah. um, a big part of my recovery was, uh, I mean, I believe that, uh, I, one of the things you taught me is how cool is it that we can be perfect in never drinking again, right? It's something that yeah. we can be perfect in. We can never touch alcohol again. Yeah. But I, I believe that, that those addictive 
whatever you want to call it, the, those addictive traits, they kind of mm. stick with you. And I've learned I had to channel it somewhere else. Sure. Right. Exactly. I had to find something healthy to channel and, and exercise. I got started getting back into yeah. exercising. I, in fact, I did last year. I, I competed in another half Ironman. I always wanted to do that again. Never thought I'd be able to physically where I was at. Right. Yeah, I just, you're like, yeah, I never thought I'd be well, able to get there, but you know, it's even, a, and I was, when I started um, truck driving, I started over the road with CR England with a, with a team driver. And I, I made it a point to take my weights with me. I put, <laughs> made a pull up bar in the, in the truck and it was like a, an everyday thing. Right. And wow. I had to do it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, exercise has been, been key in, well, in my recovery. And, and it's a big thing in recovery. And I'm going to say this to anyone listening exercise. And it's not that you have to go run a half Ironman or whatever. It's, it's about getting up and moving. It's like it it releases those endorphins. We have a dopamine release. It feels yeah. good. There's a reason why we should move, right? Yep. And anyone out there, you know, it, it really is. Like for me personally, I call it my morning meds. I, I go and work out in the morning. It's my medication. <laughs> I And when I work out, I have less anxiety. I have less depression. I have more confidence. Um, I have more energy actually throughout the day. Yeah. You think like you go work your butt off in the morning, you're gonna be tired all day. No, it's the days I don't work out, I feel tired all day. Yeah. It's interesting. So anyway, I'm glad you point that out. Um, I know you've learned a ton of lessons through all of this. And I know this is gonna be a tough question to ask you because there's many lessons. But is there one lesson through this whole process that you learned that really stands out to you? It's a good question. Because um, yeah, you you definitely learn a lot of things um but it's i guess i would say that it is possible as much as you tell yourself it's not yeah it is and it's making that decision that i'm going to change yeah power of a decision right yep and wow. just as much as you might believe or, or anybody struggling out there might might believe that that there is no other other way out and, and you can't do it or nobody loves me i i promise you that somebody does care about you yeah just love that. reach out make the decision to reach out and get help it is so i i, I want to say it's impossible to do it alone you have to you have to make the decision to do it, but you need you need help and support. And even if it's just your God, your heavenly Father, He's there. He loves you. But just reach out, because helps out there. I love what you just said there. Thank you. It was beautifully said. Um, I'm looking at these on my uh, book stand over here. I have the um, twelve principles that uh, the Other Side Academy lives by. And number one says, you alone can do it, but you can't do it alone. It's very true. And it, and it really is. Like, I was a part of your journey, but I couldn't do it for you. Right. I was there for you, but you did it. But you couldn't have done it without maybe my influence at the time. And I know you've had other people in your lives and other things that have helped you a ton. But I love that you said that. And my next question would have been, what would you tell someone who's struggling right now uh, who's listening to your voice? And I think what you just said is, I mean, there, there's the answer is to reach out and ask for some help. 
Is that is that fair? Yeah, and just just know that you're worth it. Yeah, because you definitely convince yourself that you're not. Yeah, but you are worth it, and you have so much good to do in the world, yeah. and so much more to look forward to. Yeah, I mean, if you know, if I could have just seen where where I'm at now, and and how grateful I am, and blessed I am. Yeah, you know, it would have been easy, but I I didn't know that at the time, right? Yeah, but you have so much more life ahead of you. Doesn't matter how old you are, just and life is so much better without without drugs and alcohol. Yeah. So much better. Yeah. I and that I think that's where people get tripped up too. I'm glad you said that is we somehow I see this with my clients, they think they're gonna miss out if they can't have a drink. Oh yeah. You know, or I I won't be as social or I can't have a glass of wine with my meal or we think we're going to miss out, but the truth is we don't miss out on anything. Matter of fact, we're missing out if we do go down that road again. Yeah. So I love that you said that. Beautiful advice. Yeah. Well, I, I can't thank you enough for coming here today and sharing your story. Um, I consider you a friend, and uh, I'm proud of you. And uh, I pinch myself that I get to be a part of, you know, of these people's journeys that have overcome some horrific things and and I'm just very blessed to be a, a part of your journey. And I'm just grateful and honored to have you on the show today. Thanks, Todd. It was, um, I'm honored to be here. Um, yeah. And if, you know, if if anybody listening, just one person listens and gets something out of it, that, that means the world to me. I, yeah. I love being vulnerable and, and sharing my yeah. story. Yeah. Know, so Beautiful. Well, thank you for taking some time. And uh, it's great to see you again. Yeah. Congratulations you. on all your success and you know, keep keep doing what you're doing, man. I think it's awesome and you're helping a lot of people, which is awesome as well. Appreciate it. Yeah. Well, there you go, folks. Um, I told you this was going to be great. Chris Hartman um, coming up on five years clean and sober. Wow. It's an amazing. And like I said, he was at the lowest of lows when I saw him. And I love his message that, hey, it's possible to change. It is possible. I know sometimes when you're in the thick of it, you don't think it is, but that's a lie. And Chris pointed that out very well to us today. So an amazing story. I love you guys. If you have someone who's struggling, I say this all the time, share this episode with them. If you don't know how to talk to someone who's maybe struggling, say, hey, listen to Chris's episode here on the belief cast because it will break the ice and then you can follow up with them and ask them if you can you know give them get them some help or what have you but uh please do that please uh, share this again thank you to our sponsors again the music is by mark uh by paul cardall a great friend of mine and all, all my sponsors thank you so much for making this possible and for all of you for tuning in it wouldn't be worth it without you guys so i love you chris you're amazing Thank you, sir. You too, Todd. Love you, man. Appreciate you.